0: One time, the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, went on an extended trip to Petersburg in Russia. And of course he took the train there and went with several pieces of luggage. And when he arrived and got off the train, he went to collect his luggage and noticed that one suitcase was missing. He had come with several of his chassidim, and of course there were chassidim in Petersburg, and they all looked for the suitcase. But they couldn't find it. It had simply disappeared. And that particular suitcase was full of holy books that were very important to the Rebbe. And he was quite disturbed by the fact that his suitcase has gone missing. Some of the Hasidim were wondering maybe there was someone on the train who would notice that it was the Rebbe and figured that there must be something valuable in one of his suitcases and possibly stole it. Whatever it was, they couldn't find the suitcase and they had to continue on their trip without the books. A few days later, there was a young chassid who came to visit the Rebbe, and his name was Avram Eliyahu Guari, who was the son of Rabbi Shmuel Guari, the rabbi of the town of Horol. And he came to visit the Rebbe Rashab, of course, being a chassid of the Rebbe. And the way it worked in those days, many times, was that a scholar would marry into a wealthy family. And the parents of the daughter would support the scholar in learning for a year and then give him a dowry and hopefully he would be able to make his way in the world. So this Avram Eliyahu, he received a dowry of 10,000 rubles from his in-laws in order to go into business and he decided that he would go into selling coffee and tea. So he traveled far to a distributor, bought what he thought was going to resell for a lot of money, spent all 10,000 rubles buying the coffee and tea. But in the end, the price of coffee and tea dropped, and he basically lost his 10,000 rubles. And of course the in-laws were very upset because this was a great deal of money. And his wife, although she was supportive of her husband and encouraged him, she didn't know what to do, because this was their whole livelihood. And the truth is, Havra Eliyahu didn't know what to do as well. And when he heard that the Rebbe Rashab was in Petersburg, he decided to immediately travel to the Rebbe and seek the Rebbe's advice when he arrived in the big city, he was taken aback by the buildings and the modern technology of the late 1800s. And he finds his way to the Rebbe Rashab. And when he arrives, he tells the Rebbe, Rebbe, I need some advice. And the Rebbe put up his finger and he said, one second, one second. And Havram Eliyahu was standing there thinking, what's with the Rebbe? I didn't even tell him anything yet. And the Rebbe closes his eyes and he says, hang on a second. And he opens his eyes and he says, it's okay. He gives Avraham Eliyahu a luggage ticket, and he says, Please, go back to the train station and see if you can find my suitcase. It's very important to me. It has many holy books in it. I got off the train a few days ago, and despite looking everywhere for it, we could not find the suitcase. Can you please help me? So here the Chasid says the Rebbe needs my help. Of course, I'm more than happy to help the Rebbe. He takes the ticket and goes to the train station. And of course, there was no train there at the time. So there was really nobody there at the time. It was very quiet. There were no trains coming in, going out. And so he went to the cafeteria there in the train station, sat down at a table, and was drinking a little bit of water. And he sees this man, a non-Jewish man, sitting across from him, staring at him. And he takes out a very fancy snuff box. And you can see this other man is looking at the snuff box. And he says, would you like some snuff? He says, yes. And so the non-Jew comes and sits next to the chassid. And the man asks the chassid, tell me, what are you doing here when there's no trains coming or going? And the chassid pulls out the luggage ticket from the Rebbe. And he says, my rabbi, he gave me a ticket and he said, come here and find his luggage. It disappeared when he came a few days ago. So the non-Jewish man says, this is amazing. Because I happen to be the luggage manager of this whole train station. It's lucky that you ran into me. Otherwise, who knows who would have let you in there? So, of course, the chassid understood there's some hashkachapatit going on here. There's some divine intervention. And so they go together into the large luggage room. And the manager is going through all the luggage looking for it. He gave it to his workers, and they're looking as well. They went from storeroom to storeroom, but they couldn't find the suitcase. And the manager tells his workers, this is unacceptable. We run a tight ship here. How can it be that there's a ticket for luggage, and you can't find it? Go back and look again, and bring me that luggage, and do it fast. So the workers ran back to the storeroom, and they searched every piece of luggage. They moved everything, and finally, hidden in a corner, blocked by a very large package, they found the Rebbe suitcase, full of the holy books. And the chassid thanked the manager, and he gave him a tip. And then he carried the suitcase back to the rebbe. Very happy, of course, that he actually found the suitcase. And when he walks in, and the rebbe sees his suitcase, his eyes light up. And he says, "Avram Eliyahu, I am so grateful to you. I am in your debt. Tell me, what can I do for you? In the meantime, the rebbe opened the suitcase and sees that all the books are there. And he was feeling in a particularly good mood. And he said, no, sit down, Avram Tell me, what's your story? What's going on? So he says, Rebbe, I got married recently. My in-laws, God bless them, they gave me 10,000 rubles. And what do I know about business? I asked people, what should I buy? They said, coffee and tea. I went and bought a bunch of coffee and tea. And then the price went down and I lost almost everything, Rebbe. I was able to sell the coffee and tea, but all I have is 1,000 rubles left. And you know, Rebbe, with 1,000 rubles, can't do very much. So the Rebbe says, listen, Avram Meliau, I'm truly indebted to you. No one could find my suitcase, and somehow you found it. So I'm going to give you some advice as to what to do with that thousand rubles. I want you to go to the town of Kurtz, and Be'ezart Hashem, the master of the universe, will bless you with great success there. And so Avram Meliau gets up and he's thinking, but Rebbe, what do I do when I get there? And the Rebbe says, oh, don't worry about that. You just go to Kurtz. But one thing, make sure your wife gives you some of her pastries. You're going to need them on the way and ask her to give you quite a lot because it's a long trip. So Avraham goes back home and he tells his wife, look at this incredible Ashkacha, this divine intervention. I find the Rebbe's luggage. He gives me this great bracha that I should have success in Kurtz. And he says, I have to come with some of your pastries and a lot of them. So the wife is very happy. She's more than happy to bake and she bakes cakes and she bakes cookies and all kinds of pastries and packs them all up for her husband. And she puts together his talis and tefillin and anything else he would need for the trip and says, My husband, I'll be saying to heal him for you. I'll be davening for you. Good luck. So Avraham Adiaw starts his way to the town of Kurtz, which was on the Black Sea. And since it was a hot summer day when he arrived, he decided that he would go for a swim in the Black Sea before doing whatever it was he was supposed to do there. Then he jumped in the water, went for a swim, cooled himself off, and now he's sitting by the water, by the sea, eating some of his wife's baked goods after the swim. And he sees there's another man on the beach, a Jew, that's staring at him and looking at his food. So the Chassid says to him, Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friend. My wife baked these pastries and they're truly excellent. Would you like to share them with me? And the Jew comes over and he says, yes, thank you. They look so beautiful and so tasty. And the two of them are sharing the pastries and they're having a friendly conversation. And when this Jew asks the Chassid, so tell me, why are you here in Kurtz? Avraham Eliyahu says to him, I got married recently. My in-laws gave me 10,000 rubles. I didn't invest it in the best way. But then... I got a bracha from the Rebbe to use my last thousand rubles here in Kurtz. But the truth is, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. He just told me to come here, but he didn't tell me what to do. And so this other Jew, he says to Avram Eliyahu, You know, I think I can help you. Meet me here tomorrow at this time, and I'll bring a friend of mine. Maybe we can work something out. And then he smiled and he said, But make sure you bring some of those beautiful pastries that you gave me today. And so the next day, they got together in the same place, and there was a third person who had showed up, and he had a wagon load of cut cigarette paper. And he told Avram I'm willing to sell you this whole wagon load for your thousand rubles, and I promise you, you're going to make a nice profit from it. And so Avram what did he know about business? He didn't know anything. He made a mistake before, but this time he had the Rebbe's bracha, and he had no doubt whatsoever that this was why he was there and so he hands over the thousand rubles he takes the wagon load of cigarette paper and the man who had just sold the cigarette paper to Avrameliau. he said to him you should go to Kremenstock there there's a number of cigarette factories and there you can resell the cigarette paper and you won't have to travel too much so Avraham is saying look at this i'm going from bracha to bracha from blessing to blessing when he gets to the town of Kremenstock, sure enough, he sees there's a factory, lots of factories, making cigarettes. And he goes to one of the factories that's owned by a chassid. And he says to him, look, I've got a wagon load of cigarette paper. How much do you want to buy it from before? And the factory owner, he says, well, how much do you want for them? the Aliyao says, 10,000 rubles. The factory owner, he laughs. He says, listen... I'll give you 2,000 rubles, which is twice as much what you paid for them. I know exactly how much that stuff costs. And you didn't pay more than 1,000 rubles for it. But Avram Aliyao said, no, I'm not selling it for 2,000 rubles. I'm selling it for 10,000. So the factory owner, he says, I'll give you 3,000, just to be nice. Avram Aliyao said, nope, 10,000. He said, okay, 4,000. And I don't even know why I'm offering you 4,000, but 4,000. And the chassid said, no, 10,000 or nothing. So the guy said, fine, nothing, go, get out of here. And so he went to the other factories, and one of the other factory owners, he offered him 5,000 rubles. And he said, nope, I'm only selling it for 10. In the meantime, he's taking his time, he's going from factory to factory. And the first factory owner, he said to himself, you know what, I'll go to Kurtz, just like that Avram and I'll buy the paper for 1,000 rubles, just like he did. So he goes to Kurtz, when he gets there, he asks around who sold the paper to the chassid for a thousand rubles. And he finds that third man who had met Avram Eliau and the other Jew at the sea. And he says to him, I want to buy some cigarette paper from you for the same thousand rubles that you sold it to Avram And the man says, I'm sorry, we already have orders for all of our paper. And the truth is, that paper was worth much more than a thousand rubles. I just had compassion on him and decided to help him out. Give him one wagon load for that price. And the truth is, he's a pretty lucky guy. Because right now, all of the cigarette paper is accounted for. And there's nothing left anywhere. You won't find it no matter how hard you look. So when the factory owner heard that all of the paper had been sold, he went back as quickly as he could and found Avram Aliou still trying to get 10,000 rubles for his paper. Obviously, the other factory owners didn't realize that all the paper had been sold out. And he said to Avram Aliou, Here you go, 10,000 rubles. And Avram got his money back. But he couldn't be happier. He comes back home. He says to his wife, Look at what just happened. She said, I knew you could do it, my husband. I knew things would work out for you. He says, Yeah, now I got the 10,000 rubles back. But what am I supposed to do now? She says, Go to the Rebbe and ask him. So makes his way back to the Rebbe. And he says, Rebbe, I got all 10,000 rubles back. And it's all thanks to you. And he tells him all of the ashkachapatit. We took the pastries. And he met the guy by the sea who introduced him to somebody who had compassion on him and that there was a shortage of cigarette paper and he was able to make all 10,000 rubles back from it. He says, Rebbe, what do I do now? And the Rebbe just smiled. He says, Avram I've already paid back my debt to you. Now you're going to have to figure it out on your own. But one thing you learned, and your wife as well, is that if you daven and you have emuna, and you have faith in Hashem, you allow Hashem to figure out how things should work out for you. So I bless you that you should be basimcha, should be joyous and successful in business, and always remember that the source of all parnasa, of all livelihood, comes from a kadosh ba'uchu, comes from Hashem Himself. I have one more short story for you. This was sent in by one of the loyal listeners of the podcast, a friend of mine who grew up in the same neighborhood that I've lived in for decades now. The story is that his parents, who were very close Hasidim of Reb Shlomo Karobach, a blessed memory, they bought a home in Nachlaot in Jerusalem for deme Mafteach, for key money. Key money was a way that property was sold and rented in the times of the Ottoman Empire. And remained till today, even though the government is pretty much trying to get rid of it. The way it works is that you pay a lump sum of money to the owner of the property. And then every month you pay a small amount of rent. But you can't resell the property. It still belongs to the owner. And family members can continue living on the property. And so it was an inexpensive way to buy homes when people didn't have a lot of money. So it was many, many years ago. That this family bought a home through Dmei Mufteach, and Reb Shlomo would come to their home and give lessons. One of the stories that I heard about this home, of course I've been in the home and, and I know the parents, is that one time Reb Shlomo was there giving a lesson, and the house was so packed and people kept coming in. So people said, there's no more room, you can't come in. can't come in, they're telling people outside. You can't come in. And Shlomo says, my sweetest friends, we need to make room for those people outside to come in the house. People said, Shlomo, but there's no more room. What are we supposed to do? I said, my sweetest friends, we have to make ourselves smaller. If we make ourselves smaller, there'll be enough room for more people to come in. And sure enough, everybody made a little bit more room, and more people were able to come into the house and be with Shlomo for the lesson. So as the family grew, B'li'ayinara, it's a big family, many kids. The mother of the family said to Reb Shlomo, Shlomo, we need a bigger house. Give me a bracha, give me a blessing that we have a bigger house. And Shlomo would bless her that the house will grow with the children. And I'll just tell you, before I continue, that I heard the story also from the mother of the family. And my wife and I, we also bought a small house in Nachlaot. It wasn't a of it was with a regular mortgage. But we had the same thing, the children came, Bli'ayinara, we had a lot of children. We didn't have room in the house. And I once said to the mother of this family, how did you do it with so many kids? She said, oh, Reb Shlomo, he gave us a bracha that the house should grow with the children. She said, I'm giving you the same bracha, that your house should also grow with the children. And sure enough, our house grew with the children. And now the children are getting older and they're moving out and coming back with their married spouses. And there's Hashem, soon with some grandkids. So God willing, the bracha will continue and the house will continue to grow. As my wife says, the land of Israel is called Eret because it's a land that stretches like the hide of an animal. And she called our house Bayit a house that continued to grow as the children came in. So sure enough, as more and more children were born to the family, they were able to expand the house a little bit on the inside. And then there was the opportunity to buy the house on the other side of the street, which shared a connecting wall with the original house. Also for Dimei also for key money. And so they connected the two homes, but still the family continued to grow. More and more kids were coming into the family, and the mother said to Reb Shlomo, Shlomo, you have to give me a bracha for a bigger home, and again he said, the home will grow with the children, and one day the owner decided that he was going to sell the property, and without asking the family, he let in this couple who were going from room to room looking at the house without any permission to be there at all. And when the father came home, and he sees this couple snooping around his house without any permission, he got so angry that he stomped his foot on the floor. He said, get out of my house. And they left, but he had hit the tiles on the floor so hard that he broke the tiles. And he heard there was some kind of hollow sound. Under the tiles, he figured, I, you know, I got to fill this hole now in the ground and fix the tiles. So he brought in some friends to help out. They remove the tiles. They're going to pour cement into the hole. But then they see that the hole is leading to a staircase. And they dig out the staircase. And they see that it leads to another room. Actually, a very large room, which was apparently a storage room or maybe even a stable at one point. And so the house expanded. And that became the boys' room. Just like Reb Shlomo said, the house will expand with the children. The house expanded with the children. And so you see, my sweetest friends, sometimes you feel like you can't see how things will work out the way that you want them to. And sometimes you don't have any choice except to hold on. But if we choose to have a Muna, we choose to trust in Hashem. We choose to say to Hashem, Hashem, I have many children, and I need a bigger house. But if you allow Hashem to do things the way that Hashem wants him to be, then your house can expand with the children as well.
1: Di 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 di
0: Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends. I got a very cute message from the Kugel and Newman families, who they say, a.k.a. your biggest fans. Now, I know that there's many biggest fans out there, and I want to thank all the kids for listening. I want to thank my kids for listening, of course, and Anna and Levi Yitzchak, the only kids still at home that are listening to the stories. And also to Eden and Alma, who came on Shabbos morning to hear me tell the stories in person. And to all of you, all of my listeners, and everyone part of this holy community that we're creating through listening to the stories and retelling the stories, thank you for listening. Bezat Hashem, I'm working on an awesome story for episode 200. I've been planning it for a long time, and Hashem, please help me have the time to do it. It's going to be Rabbi Nachman's story of the simpleton in the sophisticate. Which, let me tell you, my friends, I am a chassid of the Tom, of the simpleton in the story. And I so want to share the story with you. So, the Hashem, I'll be recording it soon. It's a long story. It's going to take a lot of time to edit. I'll bless you, and you bless me back. That the stories continue enriching us, and inspiring us, and helping us to grow in our service of Hashem. Take care, my sweetest friends. Until next week.